0: This is when you only have time for one verse, part two. I gave this the title, The Surest Way to Preserve or Waste Great Influence. The one verse we're looking at, Psalm 107, verse two. Is that in your notes? Read it out loud with me. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. There are certain caricatures of Pentecostals that we've just lived with all our lives, and they don't bother me that much. I get lumped in with camps that I don't like being lumped in with at all. But if there's one thing that produces righteous anger in me, it would be the assumption that whenever there's verbal praise, people expressing thanksgiving in a congregational way, that somehow that's, that's what Pentecostals do, whereas Presbyterians are just more meditative and thoughtful. We just think about these things. And Pentecostals, goodness knows what they're like, and they're always shouting and waving their arms around and screaming. And so they just, they just kind of do that. And isn't that cute? Let's just let them do their thing. There are very few things that are more biblical than corporately expressing thanksgiving to God. There's no denying the value and appropriateness of a thankful heart for all who have been redeemed. But that is not what this text is about. This text isn't about being thankful. It's not what the text is about. The text is about giving thanks. Those are not the same thing. You can be thankful without expressing a word. You can't give thanks without expressing it in words. Maybe you've had little kids and you go somewhere for dinner and somebody passes them the bread and you tell them to say thank you. You'd be surprised if they looked at you and said, well, I am thankful. It's just in my heart. You say, well, that's good, but the person that handed that to you doesn't know what's going on in your mind and heart. They have to hear you give thanks. That's what this text is about. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. It isn't about the heart, this text. It's about the voice. Or maybe more specifically, it's about giving voice to the thankfulness that's in the heart. There is a huge difference between being thankful and giving thanks. And giving thanks is what David is pressing home in this psalm. There's no missing it. We read 107, verse 2. Here's verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks. Verse 8. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Verse 15. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Verse 22, let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds with joy. 31, 32, let them thank the Lord. for. Are you seeing a pattern here? Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Here's the amazing thing. It's not this emphasis on giving thanks. That's striking enough. The amazing thing is that all of these exhortations should be necessary. Look what the Lord had done for these people. They were lost and had been led to safety. That's in verse 4. They were hungry and thirsty and had been nourished by the Lord's provision. That's in 5 and 6. They were bound and in prison, and the Lord set them free. That's in 10 to 16. They were lost and drowning at sea. There's another image. And the Lord rescued them. That's 23 to 32. All of those things. They're meant to serve as pictures of deliverance and rescue, and some of the psalmist's listeners knew certain aspects of this deliverance in a very literal way. They were the descendants of those who had been rescued out of Egypt, led through the wilderness, miraculously fed by Almighty God. Now they were being delivered from Babylonian captivity in the same supernatural manner. So the psalmist takes this time to remind these people in the middle of about seven exhortations, you people ought to be giving thanks to the Lord when you come together. In the middle of it, he reminds them who they are. He reminds them what the Lord has done for them. Really? Did they, had they forgotten? Were they just not thinking about it? We don't know. But here they are, worshipers, living on the post-deliverance side of life. They are the redeemed, verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And they are the redeemed because over and over again, in a host of circumstances from which they couldn't possibly ever deliver themselves, they called on the Lord and he rescued them. In view of all this, the call to praise and giving thanks, it's put in the imperative. We usually don't think of it that way. We, we usually think of the, the, the expressing of praise like that, the giving of thanks like that. It's usually done at the effort of someone leading the service, trying to work something up, and it's optional. Some people get involved more than others. Some people don't get involved at all, but it's really up to us. In view of all this, the psalmist would speak to these delivered, redeemed people, and he would say, your silence is shameful. That's what he would say. Your silence is shameful. That's why each of the four, they're called deliverance stanzas in this psalm. Each of the four ends with the same call to praise. We are the worshipers who have been redeemed We are the lost who have been found. We are the hungry who have been fed. We are the captives who have been liberated. We were those drowning in hopelessness who have had our feet set upon a rock. Apparently, when you read the psalm through, the redeemed need reminders. If we only see ourselves as the uninformed, well, then, of course, we come to church to learn, and there's a place for that. Will be silent in terms of praise. If we forget that we are the redeemed, if we no longer see ourselves as naked, and poor, or blind, but for the strong hand of the Lord, our Christian walk is going to get to be a dry business indeed. So let's quickly go through this text. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. Here's the question. This is what I want to look at. Maybe three quick points. If I know I am redeemed, if I'm thankful that I'm redeemed, why do I have to say so? I mean, why isn't it enough just to know that I've been redeemed in my own heart? Why does this thankfulness, why does it have to be voiced? The say-so part. Here's why. One. Praise strengthens and enriches each experience of God's grace in my own heart. Praise and giving thanks is like oxygen to your inner spiritual life. Silent discipleship will be weak discipleship. Experiences of grace cool when they're just received in silence. They're deepened and their joy is enhanced when thankfulness is expressed for them, my own convictions about the goodness and faithfulness of the Lord are fanned to life as they're expressed. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let me just put it this way, maybe. You are giving your own doubts the upper hand if you're not giving voice to thankful praise to the Lord. Praise is to your own doubts what penicillin is to an infection. Here's a life lesson. The defeat of doubt involves more than just your intellect. It involves your intellect for sure. Victory over doubt includes the intellect. No Christian should strive to be Uh, empty-headed. We need to have a reason for the hope that is in us. But it's equally true that you can be accurately informed and still be dull and dry in your heart. The problem isn't an issue of information, but it's expression. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Paul gives a wonderful lesson on the same point to the church in Ephesians 5, 18 to 20. You kind of have to jump into one of his long paragraph-type sentences. Where he's talking about in 18, and be filled with the Spirit. How does that kind of spiritual life manifest itself? 19, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always, not just being thankful, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so thankful worship and praise, saying so in the language of the psalmist, it puts, it puts a song in the heart. It puts music into spiritual life. So there's one reason we are so passionately exhorted by the psalmist to say so. Praise strengthens and enriches every experience of God's grace. But there's other reasons, maybe even more important, too. A sincere thankful testimony of an honest person has great influence on those who are also in need of hope and help. I think now maybe it gets to be a little more obvious why it's giving thanks, not just being thankful. You can see the great wisdom of God because the people around us can't read our thoughts. They need to hear our words. That's why this giving voice of praise and testimony is to be done in the midst of the rest of the church. Look at verse 32. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. There is incredible power in just the shared story of the Lord's work on behalf of the redeemed. The church, this church, is supposed to be sort of charged with that kind of energy and spiritual life. It should brim with the sharing of hope and faith and courage. There aren't always enough grumblers and skeptics in any crowd. Thomas, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Speak up. When you're talking about God's goodness and grace and power and faithfulness. Think of our Sunday morning altar times. Think of our Sunday night prayer groups. Maybe especially our Sunday night prayer groups. People come. People come to church, sometimes very shyly. We walk into this room with our problems, our fears, our burdens. I'll tell you something about each person that comes like that. They rarely come with just pure, unmixed, abounding faith. They'll come with fear. They'll come with doubt. They aren't bad Christians. They're just like the rest of us. Some have carried their burden so long they can't imagine living life without it. So just about everybody you're going to pray with tonight in your prayer group is a mixture of belief and faith, depending on where they are in their Christian walk, what they're going through at that time. Now you're in a group. There goes Pastor Don. He's doing it again. Let's make little groups, four or five Introduce each other, move around, get a group, pray. You can sit, stand, whoever. You've heard the speech. And suddenly, as prayer goes up, people call upon the Lord like the psalmist described. You hear someone pray, and immediately you kind of tie in with their story. You tie in with their story because you've had the same thing happen to you. You've been where they are. You've gone through the same situation part of the human condition. Here's what you should do. Immediately, when the person praying is finished, you should should speak up. You should say so. You should lovingly say to that person, I know God's going to do this for you. And I know he's more than able. You see, I've been where you are tonight. And I wasn't any more worthy than you. But I called out to the Lord. He heard my cry. He lifted me out of that same pit. He redeemed my life at the very same point that you're facing right now. So take courage. Never give up. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Your assurance can seize upon that doubter's timidity. Your words can turn on the light of faith and hope in a fear-filled heart. Your testimony can be life-giving. God wants to hook us up with each other. There are no substitutes for that kind of life. Let me close with another truth from another passage of Scripture. I was looking at Psalm 78. Psalm 78, verses 4 to 7. This ties in with, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Don't just be thankful. Say so. Express it. It's not a Pentecostal thing. It's not a charismatic thing. It's a Bible thing. It's an obedience thing. 78, 4. We will not hide them from our children, but will tell to the coming generation of the glorious deeds of the Lord And his might and the wonders he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed the law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his own commandments. The silent redeemed rob others of their greatest blessing. That's the tragedy. The silence of the redeemed robs others of their greatest blessing. Let me just give you a a real simple illustration. It was years ago that that, uh, my wife kind of used that text as a header and wrote out a list of some of the blessings of God on our home and gave it to Melissa and Laurel because they hadn't really heard all these stories. So she wrote it out on a sheet of paper. Told them how the Lord provided us with a beautiful car years ago for $1 when we just had no money for a vehicle. She told them how the Lord protected her. We moved in 1982, September 26 to Newmarket. I went and spoke at a men's retreat, arrived and left, dumped them all at the house. She told the girls about a break-in that came that night. guy who had been renting the house came in through the window, was walking through the house. She thought it was me, and she just saw the outline in the door, and then she realized it wasn't me and screamed, and the guy just left. And then we found out later on that the the Lord had awakened Grandma Horbin, Daisy, in the middle of the night, no explanation, get out of bed, pray for Reenie. right now. You tell that to the next generation. Here's what God does. Here's what the Lord does. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. The psalmist said, we've been crowned with loving kindness and tender mercies. But the point of the psalm is receiving these mercies doesn't complete God's plan in extending them. His plan is that they're shared. Thanks is given. Others need the heat of the fire of your warm heart. The last thing I want to say, I hope you don't disagree with me. I believe this point with all my heart. I'm not sure it's popular. Let's just close in prayer. No. The testimony of the layperson has far more power than that of the preacher or the celebrity. I just added that. That's because the witness of the clergy is expected. People expect me to get up and do what I'm doing tonight. It's my job. And so for that very reason, the words of the preacher are partly discounted by skeptical people. The same is true of the testimony of the superstar, the sport heroes. They have less and less credibility as they're handled by managers and inward image makers and marketers they become the stuff of religious business. No, there is no doubt about it. The testimony, the honest testimony of the average saint who has received God's mercy in a specific area has the greatest power to change people in the body of Christ. The testimony of the average saint who's had God do something specific in his or her life has the greatest power to do good when that testimony is shared because you have nothing at stake. It's just the honor and support of what God has done. You're the redeemed, the redeemed. God has always used, go through your Bible, Old Testament and New, These 12 apostles weren't superstars. Most of them were people that caught fish for a living in a boat. The honest testimony of the average saint, God has always used that. The ones the psalmist just calls the redeemed, nameless, the redeemed. So don't hoard the goodness of the Lord to yourself. Other people need to hear it. Grace multiplies in expression. It is not a Pentecostal thing. I'll say it again. It is not a charismatic thing. It is a Bible thing. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Start right away. Start right away. Let's pray.